What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome back to FedWatch. It has been a minute since we had an episode with me and Ansel. I hope you enjoyed uh, that Bitcoin Magazine podcast that we posted between Greg Foss and Dylan LeClaire talking about the macro outlook going into Bitcoin 2021. Now, Ansel and I, two weeks later, are going to follow up on Bitcoin 2021, as well as talk about all of this craziness that has been happening in all the markets, the macro markets, the Bitcoin market. Um, But I guess before we get into uh, this pretty hefty list of just Fed, central bank, macro updates, we got to meet for the first time two weeks ago in, in Miami. That was cool. You're taller than I expected. I feel like Zoom is the great equalizer. Short people look tall, tall people <laughs> look short. And then yeah, the man, yeah. dude, uh, Ansel is a strapping big guy. <laughs> yeah, it was great to meet you. Uh, you were busy the first day, but then we got a chance to at least say hello for five minutes in the second day. And um, yeah, it was great to meet you. And you guys did a fantastic job. Uh, I wrote a debrief of my experience there uh, on my blog. And it overall, my, my big takeaway is that that conference felt like Bitcoin from early adoption to mainstream. So I think Bitcoin has made it mainstream now. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, you said that to me, uh, before this podcast comes out, uh, Kevin O'Reilly came onto the Bitcoin magazine podcast. Uh, and he said the same thing. He said that, wow, like that was, uh, the first time that, I felt like Bitcoin went mainstream. And if you are listening to this podcast, you should go listen to the Kevin O'Reilly podcast. Uh, That is with Matt O'Dell and one of our really sharp interns, David Zell, um, who is doing really great things for our company. Uh, But that was a great podcast. And Kevin has some surprisingly pro-Bitcoin things to say. Uh, I think he gets it a little bit more than maybe people may give him credit. And he's learning in public. He admitted that and he said that He can learn and he is learning about Bitcoin every single day and it is consuming his mind. So uh, I think that we're going to see this across a lot of skeptics and haters. Uh, They're going to flip and uh, maybe this is an opportunity for them to buy the dip. Absolutely. And we've all been there, right? We've all gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And um, most people think when they get to Bitcoin, oh, we're, we can tweak this or fix this. You know, we're all here to fix Bitcoin. Bitcoin would be better if it had a little bit more elastic supply or or whatever. But then as you get, uh, I guess, baptized in the fire of, of the market, uh, you learn that Bitcoin is pretty much perfect the way it is. Yeah, well, I guess the thing that's perfect about it is that you can't fix it. You can't change it. It is what it is. And Very true, uh, yeah. there are properties that I would say are ideal, but you know, maybe there's uh, some smart people out there who could point out some unideal properties, but it doesn't matter what you think. Bitcoin doesn't <laughs> care. It's going to keep doing its thing. Um, do we want to jump into like this list? You, you kind of like, you have an intro block here, just kind of like, I guess, previewing yeah. some of these topics. Yeah, I mean, our main topic for, for today, I just wanted to touch on uh, the reverse repo stuff. And then last week, the Fed came out on Wednesday, you know, and had their uh, FOMC meeting and their press conference. So they had a few changes and that affected the reverse repos again. So I wanted to that to be our main topic. But uh, we could talk about price, too. I mean, there's lots of stuff going on with price. Like we were talking just before we went on air that this is the most bullish like two week period for Bitcoin news, pretty much in the history of Bitcoin with El Salvador and um, uh, Taproot and uh, 
Miners leaving China. Miners leaving China. Yeah. And so there, there's a lot of bullish news, uh, but we see the price going down. So do you, do you have a thought on why the price is dipping here or what do you think it's a random walk? Yeah. I mean, part of me thinks that like Bitcoin is going to just have these insane upswings and the altcoin rallies are going to have insane upswings and heuristics are going to get people to dump uh, like what they perceive to be the top based off of altcoin frothiness. And it's just mm-hmm. going to get clownier. Um, and there's like a lot more fuel in the engine right now. But I just think that, you know, Doge was going crazy. Elon getting on onto, uh, what's it called? Saturday Night Live. That seems like that was the top, you know? Yeah. Uh, all the ETH heads calling for the flippening. Like that was the top uh, or the local top. Like that was like enough of, like heuristically top behavior for let's just call it the nerd whales in this industry, the trading whales in this industry to, you know, pull the trigger. Right. Um, so yeah. well, what that do you could think? make do sense. You think and the- there's just momentum going down from there, but I honestly think there's just so much more fuel and fuel and real activity here that this is a good thing. Kathy Wood was on, uh, was on the Bitcoin magazine podcast before Bitcoin 2021. And she said that, um, you know, institutions don't like to top tick. And like, as they were getting maximum FOMO, they were also like had the, the uh, you know, the, the reaction of not wanting to buy the top. So uh, I think that this is healthy. Like this is what we need to see. And unfortunately for the weak handed plebs out there, um, I think institutions are going to be taking advantage of them. Yeah, and I, I think that there's something to be said for over leveraging in the altcoins. Um, like with DeFi, you know, the whole idea behind DeFi is leverage. And so I think that they got really levered up. And this Chinese news, I mean, Chinese like they like their shit coins, right? And so I think that this might even the China news might be even worse for uh, altcoins and DeFi and things. And since those are so over leveraged, they could have an, a, a kind of an effect on the overall market. So, um, yeah, I think it's good, obviously, but it's 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 hard to make it through these the doldrums of you know like the midsummer or the mid-cycle um, part of the market. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Bitcoin really picked up in 2017 after the summer into the fall. So that mm-hmm. trend hasn't fully broken yet. Again, we were just saying that every bull market is going to be unique. This one absolutely is unique. You know, Taproot, if anything, is like a coordination success story so far. You know, I guess it's too early. November is when it will actually, you know, look to safely lock in and activate. But, um, you know, Segwit in 2017 was literally the opposite. It was like the conclusion of a bloody fistfight. So... Um, the story and the background is different here. The level of adoption, the level of high level advocates, the level of mind share is completely different. So I don't know. I think Bitcoin's going to take the way of most pain too. So a lot of Bitcoiners were like super cycle, you know, that was like our version of the flipping <laughs> is the super yep. cycle, right? Uh, so agree, when yeah. you started hearing super cycle, that was probably, and, and I'm, I am, uh, Guilty of that too, for sure. Yeah, this time is different. I did Bitcoin yeah. Tina number five, the Super Cycle podcast. So, yeah. uh, you know, it is what it is. 
All right. Well, do you want to jump into the Fed stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I mean, we start actually, with... before that, yeah, let's tease yeah. next week. Let's tease next week. Yeah. Bam. We got a good one for you guys next week. Uh, I have really been enjoying working with this guy, Aaron Siegel, um, who is in Legacy Finance, recently gone super orange-pilled, and has put out two really, really excellent pieces of content on Bitcoin Magazine. I've been promoting them a lot on my Twitter, um, but the first one is Bitcoin Information Theory, which I sent to Ansel. Uh, I thought it was really good. I think it goes way beyond the, this idea of digital gold and kind of ties Bitcoin into what it is, is like perfect information, perfect price, um, and kind of goes into like what that means from a thermodynamic uh, perspective. Uh, but his second piece kind of talks about like the pitfalls of the inflation narrative. And I think he does a good job mm -hmm. of like getting into the nuances. Uh, Jeff Booth has helped him with both of his pieces. So both mm -hmm. Jeff Booth and, and uh, Aaron Segal are going to be coming on to FedWatch. Uh, so I'm really awesome. excited to have that conversation. Uh, really dive, like, you know, we've talked about inflation versus deflation. That's like one of our yeah. favorite topics. So I think, you know, we can have some really uh, top thinkers uh, and really contrarian thinkers, I guess, if you want to say the the dogma is inflation, uh, we have, it'll be a really good conversation about that uh, to join Ansel with them, you know, and I'm just going to kind of sit back and, you know, ask my questions. Yeah, it's refreshing. I haven't had a new or a chance to read this new piece that you sent me. I skimmed it and it looks really, really good. But um, yeah, it's, it's refreshing to see people coming at this topic from all sides of the uh, of the debate and kind of throwing out what doesn't work and adopting maybe some new perspectives. So yeah, this will be a great, great uh, episode next week. Can't wait. All right. Well, uh, yeah, hit us with, uh, with some of these next topics. I mean, reverse okay. repo, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, news line here. Yeah. I think maybe we should hit the FOMC stuff first. Uh, just last week they had the most recent FOMC meeting uh, where they get together, you know, and discuss Fed policy, and then they have their announcement on what they're going to do with rates and everything. Um, big thing for this was they kept rates the same, or the Fed funds target rate, they kept the same, they kept the same for QE that they're doing. Um, so everything was kept the same The on, on their headline policy. Now, the, the one thing that did change was the dot plot. And this is a relatively new thing in the last 10 or 12 years since the great financial crisis that um, the members of the committee, they will put like just dots on a simple chart where they think the rates will be at certain times in the future. And um, they, some of the dots moved forward. So it seemed like the people on the committee were, are expecting more rate hikes sooner. And I mean, it's nothing official. It's just like, uh, it's never been right before. I don't know why it would be right now, but um, that was a big change. And, and initially that was what the market like clued in on as these dots moved. Uh, the bigger change though, is in the reverse repo facility and the IOER um, interest rate. So the, these, both these things increased by five basis points and Wait, the repo real quick. Can yeah. I pause you real quick? Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to interject just for, let's just say, some newbies who might be tuning in. Can you mm -hmm. break down both of those uh, those acronyms? Which ones? The the uh, the IO. Sorry, I can't even say I -O -E -R. the I O E R, and then talk about re the what reverse repo is. 
Okay, IOER is uh, interest on excess reserves. So if uh, when banks take part in QE, they don't get money, they get reserves held at the Fed. And so those reserves held at the Fed will pay an interest rate. And it was 10 basis points, um, which is pretty good in today's market, actually. And uh, they raised that from 10 basis points to 15 basis points in this last meeting. Uh, the reverse so repo- So the Cantillon insiders got a- got an interest raise hike on their, yeah, on their and, holdings. Yeah, and IOER is actually one thing that I'm unclear on whether to consider that money printing because I don't think QE is money printing, but IOER is different. It's fundamentally different. And um, uh, that could be considered money printing, but I haven't really <laughs> dove into that too much. Um, uh, the reverse repo is, okay, so repos are repurchase agreements. They're overnight loans that are collateralized. So if I want to get, if I'm a bank and I need $10 billion overnight, um, I can get that $10 billion, but I have to put up collateral. And usually that's T-bills, uh, treasury notes, uh, some treasury bonds, mortgage-backed securities, any of these like supposedly very low risk um, securities. And so I can put that collateral up and get the cash. Uh, but then the next day that unwinds, I have to give the cash back and get my collateral back, or you can roll it over. But, um, and that's what usually happens is you just continually roll it over every day and you never repurchase it actually. Um, reverse repo is the other way where I don't need cash. I need collateral or I want collateral. And so I give cash to the fed or to the counterparty and they give me, um, uh, the collateral, whether it's a security or whatever. And you, what we've been seeing recently is 0%, zero from the Fed in regular repo transactions, but we see hundreds of billions of dollars every night in reverse repo. Um, so that's, that's what uh, reverse repo is. And that went up from 0% to five basis points. So as the bank is giving their dollars to the Fed and getting collateral, they're also getting five basis points now. And that's a pr really significant change. And we'll go into why that's a significant change. Any so is questions? It, is that, that the No, that, that's my last question. Let's, let's get into why it's a significant change. Break it down. Okay. Because it's a significant change because um, T bills are under that. So let's say I need collateral on the free, like I need collateral in a free market. I can go and um, buy T bills, right? And I might get it for three basis points. So they're, they're going to pay me three basis points to buy their, their security. Well, why would I do that if I can get five at the Fed? Right? So there, there's no reason for the free market even to exist in these bills if I can just go to the Fed and get paid more. Yet, there is, it's still sticky down there. Uh, the one month, the two month, the three month uh, bills are still under five basis points. And it's like, why is that working? Why, why is that staying down there? Well, what I and Jeff Schneider and others now have come to think is that it's because there's so much shortage of collateral out there that they've exhausted the Fed overnight because they're limited to like 80 billion per institution overnight. And if they hit up their 80 billion and they still need more, then they go into the free market to buy the rest. And like so a that's tier. why I think, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah exactly. it's like you get you you top up your max tier at the at the soup kitchen line, and then you can figure out how to get the rest on the black market. I mean, it's like a yeah. gr- it's a real market, but you know, it's like the you know whatever outside of the outside of the soup kitchen, I guess. Yeah, but it exposes this incredible, almost insatiable demand for collateral right now. And why is that? I mean, it's not because we're in some you know, new growth phase, some reflation is continuing. It's, it's probably not that I think it's that these repo repos have spiked, uh, and people want collateral, because uh, the opposite, because we're going slipping back into recession and back into contraction. And so people are fleeing to safety, and they, they will buy as much as is issued. I mean, that it looks as though like that's throughout all the economy. Right. And like, you know, let's call it sailors calling these, uh, you know, asset inflation. Um, but really it's just people fleeing to stores of value. And, you know, I guess that kind of ties a little bit into both of our bull theories on Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is like this perfect solution to, to that need. Right. And it's a permissionless and from a scalability and accessibility perspective, uh, much, much better system than, you know, what we're currently dealing with. Yeah. And that kind of sums up the whole issue. Do you want me to get into how this evolved? Uh, I took some notes on that. Yeah. Let's keep it rolling, man. You are, you are the, the maestro here. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the, <laughs> maybe I should write better notes then. Um, so the big issue going into the summer was that, you know, the inflation scare, Everyone was worried about inflation was coming. Inflation was coming. Oh, my God, that the Treasury General account, which is uh, the account, the government's account at the Fed was flush with cash because they had um, borrowed so much during the pandemic that, you know, they had a 1.2 trillion in there to spend. Uh, and that was going to be coming down and spent out into the economy. So that was going to flood the market. Um, also, we had the stimulus checks that were going to flood the market with deposits and with cash. And so everyone uh, at the beginning of the summer, pretty much, I would say, uh, when did we have Michael Leibowitz on the show, like February or March, people were already talking about that, that this was going to flood the market with all this liquidity and prices were going to surge and inflation was going to really take off. And we have seen some CPI going up, but not significantly really. Um, the, the way CPI is measured, right, is year on year. So if you see a big print, like we just saw for May, we saw 5%. And not core, that's like the headline number was 5%. But that's year on year. So you're comparing that to last May. So last May was, you know, at the depths, depths, depths of the lockdowns. And the worst part of the economy last year was what they're uh, comparing this May to. And it was only 5% better than that. So, um, or prices were 5% higher than last May. Um, sorry, my wife just came home. And um, so where was I? The, all, the, this, all this liquidity was flooding the market and we didn't really see a lot of inflation. Um, what happened was that deposits were coming into the system, but they weren't um, making it into the economy they were making it back into these reverse repos. Um, uh, I don't know, man, I'm derailing here, Christian, save me with something. So you feel like these reverse repos are just like, 
um they're just sucking up all the collateral really and it's just kind of like keeping it into like just this one function and it's not even enough to satiate you know the the needs yeah well one of the things about banks is they can't necessarily take on more deposits like a lot of people think oh well why can't they just deposit it into the bank um and the bank will have um you know they'll increase their deposits by 25 percent but banks can't do that because one, they have a fiduciary duty and it costs money to hold other people's money. Like you have overhead and, you know, all, all this other stuff. And so you can't just hold cash. You have to invest it in a positive carry. You have to get positive carry somewhere for this, both fiduciarily and uh, also the market will demand it because the market um, is all your competition, all the other banks out there that you're borrowing and lending from, uh, that you're doing these repo transactions with all over the world, they're looking at you. And if you're not doing the optimal thing, if you're just holding cash, man, something's wrong with that bank, right? There's a risk there. So we're not going to do any business with them. Oh no. Now they're shut out of the entire system and we have a freeze and a, it's a structurally like that, right? <laughs> it's structurally like that. Yeah. Like uh, it's very hard for there to be, a full reserve bank like it was like it was even like legally forbidding correct so like this is not just like you know some sort of like market bias like this is an institutionalized uh and top-down kind of bias uh from a, a like yeah from a legal it's a result yeah it's a result of the form of money i believe right when you have credit-based money you have these credit-based um, shenanigans that go on and the big web of debt that is all over the world. And so a bank must do this. They must do that because if they don't, the system freezes, right? And all of their stuff goes to zero. So, um, yeah. And when you have, so when you flood the system with deposits, you must also have the same balancing amount of collateral, you know, so you have both must go up at the same time. And if they don't, then you have problems because like, like we said, you have specific things in the financial system that must be balanced and must move together or else it freezes up. So that's what they're facing. Instead of inflation, what we got was too much cash and not enough collateral, collateral shortage. And so this, that's why people went into the reverse repo. They have this demand for collateral because there's too much cash in the system. And that sounds really funny that adding cash actually leads to illiquidity, right? But that's exactly what we're seeing right now. I mean, there's just so many freaking moving pieces here with this just complex system and the Fed doesn't have the information, right? They can't crunch the numbers in an appropriate way to make any sort of manipulation without royally fucking stuff up. And then in terms of like, managing impression management and the politics and the formalities and all this other stuff on top of it that uh, you know that even you know handicaps them more right because they have to say something they have to double down on it people react on where their dots are on the chart you know like it's it's a very difficult place that they're in i'm kind of curious like going back to the fomc meeting like what do you what are your predictions on like the fallout of some of these changes are going to be I don't know. I mean, you bring up a really good point that they're almost stuck. The Fed is almost stuck because they have to do QE. They have to do QE. If they don't, 
you know, you have a temp, uh, taper tantrum. You know, if they start trying to taper, people will see that and react as if it's negative when it's not. Because a taper would actually be um, respecting or uh, acknowledging the market needs more collateral. So why would the Fed be bu buying this in QE, taking the collateral out of the system? Uh, what we should do is limit QE and keep that collateral within the system. Then we can stop this collateral collateral shortage. But there's, they've backed themselves in the corner because if they taper, it will be seen as a negative to the market because everyone's been primed to think that this is the punch bowl. This is the only source of liquidity is the Fed. The Fed is the only part of the market. And as soon as they start tapering, you know, it's an expectations or a psychological um problem because the market will think that it's going down or something's uh, the punch bowl is being taken away. So we need to be more conservative and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So they can't, they must, they have to cut back on QE, but they can't. So they're stuck in this uh, crazy dilemma. We should name this dilemma something. We should. And you know what it kind of reminds me of? It's like during the bubonic plague, the black death in Europe, like all of the doctors, everything that they were doing was completely wrong to try to solve the pandemic and just made it exponentially worse. You know, one yeah. of the main things that they were doing, and you can look back at the history books, but they were like cutting off the, 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 there, there would be like these welts, these black welts growing on the people's like skin. And so they would cut them off and expose them. Um, and they were obviously weren't wearing masks, gloves, any sort of protective stuff. So effectively, they're just mass exposing people to the virus by mm. kind of like severing these. Uh, you know, us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like that's that feels like what is happening right now. It's like the problem is, is there's no and we've talked about this on this podcast many times. Like there is no collateral. Like that's one of the, mm -hmm. the problems based on what you are saying. And then QE is the process of taking out collateral and turning that into illiquid bank reserves. So like taking mm -hmm. out real market collateral and putting that value into the, the lockdown illiquid system. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it seems like the bubonic plague, you know, doctors, you know, well, I, I've used a similar uh, analogy to bleeding. So the, the picture, the fed as like the doctor's, three or 400 years ago, uh, they're actually bleeding the patient thinking that it's going to help them. Right. Uh, but in reality, they're just making it weaker and weaker and weaker. So yeah, the, the fed is bleeding the economy, the global economy really. Um, and it can, I mean, you can go, you can live after a, a round of bleeding, but you, every time you go through that, you know, your body will get weaker and weaker. So, um, yeah, that's, I've used that similar example. That's a little clear. I like that better, guys. So this is why this is why Ansel is the expert, and I just uh, throw out my comments. Um, so I mean, I think that was some pretty like a pretty good breakdown. Um, I guess anything else that we can make out of the FOMC? I know people were reacting to it last week. Yeah. Um, just that this doesn't spell imminent danger. I wrote a blog post on, on specifically on the reverse repo stuff before the last FOMC meeting. Um, and I said, that it, it doesn't signal imminent danger, like say two weeks from now, everything's going to crash, but it just says that the market is extremely fragile and any major event can really uh, cause a crisis. And so those, those types of events usually happen around the end of quarters. We're coming up on the end of a quarter right now. 
Um, the second quarter is not traditionally uh, really volatile, but if it continues like this until the next end of the quarter, then I can see there's something happening, some event happening around the end of Q3 that could cause a, you know, a new crisis. Yeah, I mean, and it's just weird, like talking about Bitcoin here, like this is supposed to be the Bitcoin bull market 2021. Yeah, yeah. Four years after 2017, you know, all we've been saying, you know, all of these bull markets, they kind of, they rhyme maybe, but they, they mm -hmm. definitely are unique. There's very unique aspects about this one in particular and some of the macro things are happening, but it's like, this is the first time in a bull market where there seems to be like a lot of weakness and fragility in the traditional stack, right? And we're seeing like the Fed grappling with these issues and have to be very active you know, we're seeing repo markets like having issues even before coronavirus, you know, obviously the political shit show that is coronavirus and all the lockdowns that are associated with that and supply chain disruptions and all that kind of stuff. Like there's just so much freaking chaos now um, that is just exposed. And here's Bitcoin trying to operate within that. So it is a unique environment. And at the same time, just so many bullish things are happening and awareness is like through the roof. Like, do you have any kind of commentary on like, you know, the big picture of Bitcoin fitting into this macro craziness? Oh man, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to be said. Um, I I see Bitcoin, and, and you and I agree. I'm I'm 100 on this. Is that Bitcoin offers like this island of uh, certainty within, you know, an ocean of chaos, and so I think that is how Bitcoin is going to be seen going forward, especially if this bull market does turn back around here soon and has a good second half of the year. Uh, as we see a lot of like the, the dollar is also turning around and getting stronger right now. Uh, and that causes chaos when that happens. And so um, I can see like traditional markets being volatile in the second half of the year, why Bitcoin is returning to its bull market towards the end of the year. And that would really uh, set Bitcoin apart from the rest and give Bitcoin a very good value proposition. I mean, just, and I kind of want to just tie what you just said into, you know, Bitcoin information theory with Aaron Segal, who's coming on next week. Um, and a current event that's happening right now, it, this hash rate exodus from, from China, it seems, um, you know, According to Aaron, the, the whole equation of life, everything that's happening right now, like, you know, human society is taking entropy and converting it into information, right? Into converting it into order. And if you look at like what's happening in the Bitcoin system in terms of like the chaos in the world and then Bitcoin turning it into order, which is confirmed transactions in a 10 minute block, um, every in a block every 10 minutes, you know, there is enormous amounts of chaos that's happening on the mining side, on the geopolitical side, on the narrative side. But yet, if you look at the conversion on the other side of the system, you know, we're looking at 11 minute block times, like a 10% shift in the output. Like it's, it's incredible. If you just look at that function as a one way function, like how well does Bitcoin produce order out of all the chaos that's in the, that's being input into it 
it's just like absolutely incredible. And like the closer we get back to a 10 minute block time, it just shows how freaking strong and resilient the system is. And then you contract contrast that to like <laughs> us talking about the Fed putting their predictions with the freaking dots on the paper and, you know, pulling all these levers and how these banks are like falling apart. Like it's crazy. Like, uh, I don't know. Does, does yeah. that like analogy, does that comparison make sense? Yeah, it does. I like the the visual of the dot plots versus like a block explorer. You know, like you can see the blocks coming in and it's perfect. Every time we know the supply, we know uh, the amount of transactions, we know everything about the, the network in every single block. Uh, and then you compare that against the dot plots. That That's a good visual. I like that. I mean, and like talk about like the Bitcoin market being manipulated again, like how much did the market move on like freaking dots by economists working at the Fed that we know they don't know what they're talking about? Like if you look objectively through history, all of their predictions are chronically wrong. Uh, that's brought to us by by our good friend Parker Lewis. Like, you know, he's just like it, it's such a paradigm shift. It's It's unreal. 100% agree. Um, that's all I have for this, this one. I mean, that's all the notes I took. Do you have any, anything else to add? I mean, no, I can just rant about Bitcoin, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> we, we could also close it out. Y'all, this is a, this is a fun little rip. Um, always love getting on with Ansel, really pumped to get on with Jeff Booth and Aaron Seagal next week. Uh, give us your feedback. Yeah. What, what do you yeah. have to say here? Yeah, give us your feedback. And uh, is there something you guys want us to look into? Um, you know, part of this show is to watch the Fed, try to di dissect what they're saying and what they're doing and, um, you know, relay the information to you guys. So whatever you guys want to hear about, let us know either on Twitter or on my Discord, wherever. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to get some audience input. Maybe we could do a Q&A episode. What do you think about doing that? Yeah, we should organize it, get some questions out, maybe do a form or something like that. And uh, yeah, let's make it happen. I think cool. I, I should just do, uh, I like having my private Q&A with Ansel, but we can open source it too. Yeah. I'll allow it. Um, all right, y'all. Well, you know, you guys can find Ansel at Ansel Linder, all of his websites on his Discord. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks and at Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, give us those five-star reviews, like I said. Uh, you know the drill. Share, retweet, all that stuff. Some of y'all been DMing me, telling me how much you like the show. Don't tell me. Tell the world. Tell your friends and family. They're the ones who need it. I make the show. All right. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.